Hi, I'm Will Evans. Welcome to Ahead of the Field from NFU Mutual, where we aim to bring you farming stories from around the country, updates on what's happening in the industry and relevant help and advice. Today we're going to be talking about the worrying issue of dog attacks on livestock, and sheep in particular. To discuss this, we're joined by Rob Taylor, who leads the North Wales Police Rural Crime Team, Debs Roberts, a Scottish farmer and co-founder of the Ladies Who Lamb Facebook group for women who keep sheep, and NFU Mutual Farming Specialist, David Harrison. David, I'm going to turn to you first. Uh, You've got access to the latest NFU Mutual claims statistics. What are the headlines and, and what do you think the more detailed story is behind those numbers? Yeah, hi, Will. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Every year for a number of years now, NFU Mutual has been uh, producing figures for the the cost of dog attacks on livestock. Uh, And the headline figures for our research from 2020 uh, is that we estimate around 1.3 million has been paid out uh, as a consequence of of dog attacks on livestock. Um, Sadly, that's an increase of uh, around 10% on the preceding year. Um, which is of you know, great concern to us and mm. a number of our farming members as well. Um, in terms of what we think the, the headlines are behind that, um, our feeling is that a lot of it is to do with the, the impact of, of coronavirus and the lockdown with people mm. sort of trying to get exercise in the countryside. Yeah. Uh, and as we've known, uh, seeing the media stories of a lot of people getting dogs uh, and pets during lockdown and taking those animals out into the countryside and not necessarily taking the precautions they need to keep animals on a lead. Okay. Uh, Rob, let's bring you in. Um, Can you please explain who you are, first of all, and and the work of the rural crime team that you head up in North Wales? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Rob Taylor and uh, I manage the North Wales Police Rural Crime Team. And uh, we were the first dedicated team in the UK formed in 2013. uh, And we've grown in our figures uh, staff wise from uh, initial starting to three or four officers to a team of 11 now. A dedicated team dealing pretty much in the main farm related crime and wildlife crime and then other bits such as habitat uh, destruction and uh, other waste crime offences. So broad spectrum, but mainly our, the rural area is our domain. Hmm. OK, um, let's start with the term livestock worrying. Um, exactly what do we mean by this? And, and does it does that term reflect the reality of what takes place? Uh, no, absolutely not. You know, I think it's it's, it's one of the words I don't like because it, everybody's used worrying uh, all the time. And it's yeah. gone, you know, with the 1953 Act, that's how old it is. You know, we're talking about 67 years of age now, this Act. So this term worrying has existed since then. And, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't portray the sheer brutality of these uh, attacks. You know, it's barbaric. Sheep are often maimed and have horrific injuries. And, and sadly, uh, still live for many hours or days afterwards, you know, and if, if they're highland sheep or, you know, mountain sheep, they can go unnoticed for quite a long time and, and suffer awful catastrophic injuries where ultimately they'll either die of natural causes or be euthanized by a vet. Yeah. Oh, David's given us um, an overview of the national trends. What's your experience in, in North Wales? I mean, I, I'm a livestock farmer in, in North Wales myself, and it, it certainly feels like it's happening more than it ever has before. Yeah, well, I think, you know, not just North Wales, right? I chair the National Livestock uh, Committee, so for the police, uh, for the National Police Chief Council. So I've got a really good overview of the UK as well. But of course, I, I've got very good knowledge of North Wales. And, and what David was saying before is interesting, but it only scratches the surface because those statistics only relate to claims. Mm. So, you know, how many farmers aren't insured or how many farmers actually don't report? This has been a historical problem in ourselves uh, where... 
the, the Home Office, the, the UK, the Home Office don't require the police to require to record these figures. So before we voluntarily started recording them in 2013, there were no figures existed anywhere in the country historically for livestock attacks. And we were the first to expose this. So the figures we're seeing, I, I would probably say, you know, like David's statement there, it's, you know, it's high 1.3 million. But you can add a significant sum onto that if you look at the real impact. And it's not just monetary, is it? You know, it's uh -huh. the it's the mental impact this has on the farmer. It's actually, as well, looking at it from the other side, it's the mental impact it has on a dog owner when their dogs are either shot or euthanized. And also, and people overlook this one hugely, it's the mental impact it has on my team who are turning out to these attacks day after day after day after day and seeing not only the barbaric scenes, but also the anguish that the farmer is suffering by losing possibly a breeding line or, or this year's stock. You know, this is a hugely impactive offence. And, I, you know, the figures are far higher than we actually realise. Yeah. So how is the work that you're doing actually making a difference on the ground? You know, when we started this team in 2013, we, we started a, a fresh, clear canvas, you know, and, and I was able to sort of look at different areas. And this is one of the big areas that, that came out. So, and you know what? In the beginning, my belief was education. You know, let's go for education and teach these uh, dog owners about responsible dog ownership. And that still exists to some extent. But actually, people still don't listen, you know. And if you look at the statistics as well, because we've gathered four of the forces nationally to help us with some figures in 2018, I think we were supplied. Uh, and, and these figures, uh, you know, they, they show uh, that it's not just North Wales is getting hit by these. It's it's all over the country. Mm -hmm. And of course, these figures are showing in excess of 75 percent of attacks that are when the dog owner is not present. So this isn't just dog owners not using leads. These are dog owners who are purchasing dogs, leaving them in the yard all day or the house. They're escaping and going out to nearby fields. So you're looking at conurbation of houses that's near arable or rural land, uh, the dogs are getting into that land and they're doing the attack and going home. And sometimes the owner is not even aware that these yeah. dogs have done the attack. And of course, you add that to the fact that three or four years ago, there was a massive, massive increase in people buying husky dogs, whether that was due to a certain TV series and people got a fanatical look on it and people started buying huskies. And we were seeing of our over 100 attacks a year in North Wales alone, we were seeing nearly in excess of 50% of those were committed by huskies. Wow. So, you know, it's an interesting, the, the whole concept's so interesting, but it's so devastating as well. Absolutely. So what would your advice be for farmers and, and what should the public do if they see an attack taking place? You know, our advice has always been from day one. If, if it's not reported, it never happened, because if we don't know about it, we can't act on it. And I need not only the report to prosecute possible offenders so they don't repeat offend, but I need those figures to be able to, to help me with my drive at the moment to get this law, this antiquated law from 1953, which I'm sure serves a purpose eight years after the end of the Second World War, but certainly doesn't serve a purpose in 2020. So I need those figures, and they're, they're absolutely vital to me. And that the work that we're progressing through Parliament now is advancing at speed and i'm really hopeful we can get a change and let's bring this act to 2020 because what i said earlier is really important education works to a certain extent but if people aren't listening where do you go from there you need that result in the end of the day and sadly if somebody has to go to court and receive a fine or they have to pay substantial compensation or the dogs have to be euthanized in order well so be it and I've always likened it to the to the drink drive law or seatbelt law or people driving on the phone law. When these laws came into being, education was the first primary attack and it didn't work. You know, people weren't 
listening and it was still happening and people were still crashing cars. And then suddenly when the fines came in and the arrests and the powers and when people driving their phones suddenly thought, oh, hang on, I'm going to get substantial points here in my license and a substantial fine. That's when people started listening. And that's how I'm, that's my approach and tactical way. I'm going to deal with this problem as well. There's a, I'm going to get this law changed so we can get easier prosecution and then let's get better fines and more conversation to farmers. And also I think people then will read these stories in the press become educated and that's when we'll see the drop and until that happens i don't think we will see a significant drop mm, thanks rob that's an excellent comparison um debs it'd be good to get your perspective now please um just introduce yourself and talk about the ladies who lamb group that you've set up please thanks will yes um well the ladies who lamb uk is a closed facebook group so it's um it's private to the members who are in the group uh, it now has more than 8,000 members throughout wow. the UK and a little bit further beyond. So we have some international ladies as well. Um, they are all women and they all keep sheep or have an involvement in the sheep industry, whether that be a smallholder, a couple of pets, right up to thousands of ewes on the hill. Uh, so we cover the full spectrum, not just of um, ownership, but also breeds. And uh, it's a very active group. They're very dynamic. We're getting about 90 to 95% engagement, which is likes, comments and posts uh, you know, being made on the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, that we can be looking at anywhere between 70 and 100 posts a day. So it's wow. um, fairly dynamic. Yeah. And yeah, it takes a lot to, 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 to look after, but they're What's a super that? group. So how did it initially come about, the group? It's basically, um, my daughter and I started the group in January 2019, so it's not very old. We've only just had our second birthday, and uh, it's just grown from one thing to the next. We, we, Jess, and, Jess is my daughter. We started it because she was heading off on a contract landing job, and it just occurred to us there's a lot of potentially young shepherdesses out there who are working in very isolated conditions, Hmm. maybe working at night, working alone. And they didn't have very much of a support network. So we set the group up and um, didn't really have any expectations where where it was going. And it's just gone crazy. Uh, So it's now become the sort of the safe place, if you like, for um, not just animal advice you know i mean we get so many questions about oh i've got a you down with twin lamb what do i do uh to um really basic questions like i i think my use lambing is she is she not how do i save this lamb so you know just uh hands-on advice but also it's become a social place so they share a lot of pictures and the woes and the wonders of owning sheep and we know that there's a lot of both <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's become a mental support group as well. You know, we ha- we have a rule where you've got to be kind, and uh, that's a really important. That's probably one of the cruxes of the the group that we don't really like to have any nastiness. Doesn't matter mm. how emotional we get, and we've certainly seen a lot of ups and downs over the last year. Um, and I can read the patterns. I can see when people are starting to get nervy or overly emotional or stressed because that comes through in the type of posts. And almost instantly you can see the support, you know, it's okay, we're all feeling like that, or this is what I've done to cheer myself up today. So it's a really dynamic group. We have lots of different initiatives happening, but the key one at the moment that is really um, 
feels like it's at crisis point and the ladies are very passionate about this and hence I'm starting to talk to people and trying to raise awareness about dog attacks and um, responsible access you know when you go out to visit the countryside how what is it that we need or we would love to see people do to help reduce the panic and the stress and the damage that's caused when dog incidents go wrong yeah so so what's the experience of those in the group of dog attacks on livestock I've got a number of different stories to tell you. Um, I've got lots of gruesome photographs as well, but I sure. really don't. We're lucky we can't see them yeah. in this forum because it's not it's not a nice thing to go through. But we've had um, we've had stories come in from all over the country, so it's not really a, there's not one hot spot, can I say? But I would. It's definitely rural, but we're talking anywhere from sort of Doncaster to Bristol to Cheltenham, yeah. you know, Wales, Cumbria, just everywhere there mm-hmm. are stories popping up. And it does feel like that uh, every day we turn on social media and there's another story. But if I can tell you a couple, just briefly. Um, so we had one, we had Harry, who was a hoggart, and this was near Bristol. Um, there was a small flock and uh, he Harry the hoggart was actually um, torn. His throat was torn apart. Um, there was five dogs that were that were racing through the flock, and um, after two hundred bite wounds on this this animal, he had to be put to sleep. Jeez. So that's that's one story. Um, yeah. In Oxfordshire, I had a lady uh, call me and say that she'd had some ewes drowned after they'd been chased into a river. Mm-hmm but she wasn't able to identify who had done that because there wasn't any evidence. It was just that they'd, on checking the stock, they'd found the ewes panicked. It looked like they'd been rushed and panicked into a corner and then down the banking and couldn't escape. Um, From Cornwall, um, and this was actually a National Trust property, so it's a rented farmer, and they have a number of different operations, but uh, one of the the, probably the, the most worrying stories that I was told was that there was a group of uh, tourists. So these were people who'd come from London and there was six adults, five children and four dogs in a group. And they were walking through a field that is well away from the the public path or the Mm -hmm. National Trust path. So there was no signposts anywhere to say, you know, this is where you go. They had actually ignored those signs and gone off piste completely and the farm, the, the tenant farmer, they they have to manage their land differently. And this is sometimes an under under valued impact of livestock worrying. And we've seen this coming emerging as a as a pattern that where there are incidents of uh, dog problems or other public access problems, that the farmers have to to just reduce the incidence and the impact, they move their stock away. So that means that they're rendered with fields that they can't use because yeah. the risk is too high. Yeah. And that has a, has a different impact, which is never measured. But in this situation, they had um, this, this family, uh, extended family, were walking through a field that had recently carved belted Galloway cows through it. And the cows were always put in this field because there was not meant to be any, poli- any public go there. So therefore, it was a safer place for the animals. And it meant that the public who were meant to be keeping to the path, the signposted path, weren't going to be put in a dangerous situation. 
the family had ignored the signs, had gone into the field with the cows, and the farmer was very lucky to have noticed them and ran screaming up the field trying to pull them back mm-hmm. in case they were hurt. So they only just managed to call them back and save them, um, not just from the cows, but also the cows from from being disturbed as well. So, so we, that was a fortunate incident where they managed to see it. It was just by pure chance. Yeah. And Rob talked about the mental impact that this kind of incident can have on farmers. Um, what kind of response are you getting um, in that regard from members of the group? It's actually very distressing. I've had I've had women in tears, um, yeah. and and this happens. It's, it, it's not just at the time. It, it can take days or weeks. It's almost sometimes like the the vision of what they've seen can't leave them. Mm-hmm. They feel terrible guilt because. This is an animal that they they likely know personally. You know, they've maybe hand reared it or they know their flocks very well. So they're very close to their animals and they often feel more like pets than what they do a random head in a flock of a thousand. So there is a very personal feeling of responsibility and the fact that you've let them down. You've let down that animal. But also interestingly, and this touched on what Rob was saying, is that we've also spoken to vets who had to come and put animals to sleep after they've been wounded beyond um, being able to to heal. And they get very distressed as well. So it's it's not just the blood yeah. and the gore and, and bones and skin being ripped off or faces being torn off. It's actually the fact that the animal is in pain and you can't do anything to alleviate that pain. So you mm-hmm. feel a certain degree of guilt um, yeah. as well. So it's, there's just so many aspects of it. Um, and it, it's not something that goes away. It's the sort of mm-hmm. thing that when you close your eyes at night, you see that picture in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know that the vast majority of uh, livestock worrying incidents are unintentional. What would your advice be for dog owners who visit the countryside? Um, my advice, uh, trying to summarise it, is um, taking on board the fact that there's a lot of new dog owners out there who are probably just in the stages of training their dogs. So it, it's very important, particularly between January and May, that they use a dog lead, even if they think they don't need one. If they go into a field and they shouldn't, they can't see any stock, then that doesn't mean there are stock that aren't there. So mm-hmm. I would always advise that people who are enjoying the countryside and don't get me wrong that's just one thing to add is that we don't want people to not come out that's not the message that's coming out what we don't what we want people to enjoy the countryside but we want them to enjoy it responsibly so there's that would be the second message is is be respectful to the wildlife the environment the path that you're walking on and the people who live and work in that area and the the third thing would be to just follow the signs. You know, there's a lot of effort gone into signage and they're there for a purpose. They're there yeah. to keep people safe. And they're also to make sure that that the environment and the wider sort of livestock and fields and farms and businesses that are working are safe as well. So that would be my three top tips. Okay. Thanks, Tabs. Uh, David, let's bring you back in. Um, as well as the NFU mutual claim statistics, you've also done some research with dog owners. Tell us a bit about that research and, and what it's told you. Yeah, that's right, Will. Um, sort of tail end of 2020, coming into early 2021, we undertook some research with uh, just over 1,200 dog owners. And um, just picking up on what Deb said a moment ago, you know, we, we're all for people enjoying the countryside. 
I think particularly with the, the challenging times we've had through 2020 and into 2021, mm-hmm. I think in terms of everyone's uh, physical and mental well-being, uh, being able to get out into your local countryside and exercise is, is great. Um, but exactly as, as Rob and Devers have already said, you know, people have got to take uh, responsibility for their pets. Uh, and what we've found with these, this piece of research with 1,200 dog owners, uh, we've got around two-thirds, almost two-thirds of owners letting their pets roam free in the countryside and that's despite the fact that half of those dog owners are admitting that their dogs don't always come back. Uh, they haven't got a recall uh, of their animals when they need to. So that's that's a real concern. Uh, and, you know, we, we've got to stress to people that they need to be keeping their dogs under control uh, and on a lead. Um, because if you know, if they do get in with livestock, you know, we know full well the, uh, the, the, the sort of problems that that causes, the, you know, the devastation of, of destroyed livestock, the impacts on, on farmers, the police, vets uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and also worryingly, uh, only 40% of dog owners in the survey accepted that their pet could cause injury uh, or death to an animal. So there's a lot of people assuming that, you know, what appears to be a very uh, docile and tame, you know, it could be a small lap dog even, um, doesn't even have to be a big um, sort of, uh, you know, more aggressive or potentially aggressive type of dog. There are people with, with uh, smaller pets, lap dogs and, and, and toy dogs. Uh, and those animals can cause uh, real devastation when they get in amongst livestock as well. So, yeah, 40% of dog owners surveyed uh, not accepting that their dog could cause injury. So there's some there's some worrying figures in there. So, you know, we really need people to be responsible for their pets. And as has already been said, there are a lot of new dog owners out there. And it, it, it's probably tricky during times of, of lockdown and social distancing to, to get that dog socialised. But new owners need to be taking steps, whether it's a, a new pup, or whether it's a dog that's been rehomed, they need to take the steps to to get those those animals used to being around livestock. Uh, and, and as Deb's mentioned, particularly during this uh, this peak lambing season, they need mm-hmm. to be making sure those animals are on leads when they're exercising them in the countryside. Yeah. So, do do you have any um, additional advice for farmers beyond what we've we've already heard from Rob and and Debs? Yeah, we, we've covered a lot of it already. Uh, I think, as Rob mentioned at the the start of the recording, you know, people need to report these attacks. If the uh, if the attack on livestock is not reported, it's as if it didn't take place, uh, which makes it very hard for the police in terms of resource and, and understand the scale of the problem. So, we would definitely encourage people to to report any attacks. Um, I think as well, farmers can make good use of, of social media. So, we've got some some open common land uh, just a, a mile or two away from where we live. Uh, and the people that graze their livestock on there make good use of, of social media through Facebook and other means to say, uh, you know, livestock are going to be on the fields or on, on the common land from these dates. Yeah. Uh, and then when the livestock leave the land, they put out another message saying, you know, that the, the sheep uh, have been removed now. And then people know that they've got uh, more opportunities to exercise off the lead. So, yeah, reporting incidents uh, using social media. And as we've said as well, the importance of signage. You know, if, if people are out there in the countryside uh, and farmers have put signs up saying that they're livestock in fields that dogs need to be on leads then then take every um every precaution keep your dog on a lead uh, and make sure you're, you're following that advice hmm. okay so uh, i mean there's no shying away from it covid and the lockdown restrictions have affected people's behavior and how they're using the countryside as as we've discussed how much of an effect do do each of you think this has had from your own perspectives um david we'll, we'll stick with you first uh, well, certainly the, the research we've done uh, and the, the impact, you know, the 10% increase in the, the cost of the claims uh, over the last 12 months, uh, we're certain it has had an impact. 
Uh, and we're aware, as we've, we've already discussed, more and more dog owners, I mean, perhaps inexperienced dog owners as well, that don't understand uh, what their dog could do. So, yeah, sadly, the, the impact of the uh, restrictions and, and what have you over the last 12 months is, is definitely um, being borne out in, in, in worse statistics, both in terms of the, you know, the raw numbers uh, and the impacts it's having on, on farmers and, and those you know, working with rural communities. So a big impact, unfortunately. Yeah, and is that something that you would agree with and, and, and the members of the group as well, um, Debs? Yes, I do agree. And uh, I would also add that uh, there's a great deal of frustration um, be- that seems to be summering over because of this impact of COVID. And there's worries about biosecurity and uh, being safe from COVID in the countryside as well. But I'd also li- like to add that we have an opportunity as an industry here you know, there are more people who are exercising outdoors and they're coming into the countryside and it's a wonderful part of the world that we wish to share. So there is an opportunity here to get some messaging that's targeted at the right audience so that we can improve that level of antisocial behaviour that we see at the moment and we can lead to more responsible dog owners so that everybody is is happier and and we have less crime. Hmm. Yeah, and what about you, Rob? What 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 do you think? Has has the COVID, uh, uh, the lockdown, has that increased the tax? Do you think is that something that you've seen? Yes, and I well, statistically at the moment, no, because I haven't been able to get the, the full statistics up at, at the moment. But I would say that a lot more people have bought dogs and purchased mm. dogs because, of, of course, they didn't have that ability before because they were going to work and, yeah. and now they're working from home. They think, oh, that's a good idea. Let's get a dog. And now we're probably 10 months into this lockdown on and off, so to speak. But, you know, this is when people are getting bored. It's like the people who buy dogs for Christmas and, and yeah. sort of by March, April, are sort of bored with it. So that's my first part of it. But my other observation is interesting is that, if you're walking your dog in Snowdonia, it's highly likely you shouldn't be there. You know, <laughs> if you're walking your log, yeah. dog in the middle of uh, a very remote area on a coastal footpath or in a field where there's animals and you live 10 miles away, you shouldn't be there, you know. Mm-hmm. And the problem we've got as a rural crime team now, a vast majority of our time, is is dealing with people who are not listening, not staying at home. So we're having to police COVID breaches rather than getting on and doing our proactive work to our day-to-day business. So that's my, that's my twofold answer to it, really. You know, uh, you, you know, the simple message is a few exceptions allowed. You are to leave your home and exercise from home and, and return to home. You know, mm. uh, if, if you're going to take your dog, do the responsible thing, use a lead. And of course, though, the only one uh, thing we need to remember, of course, is the advice is if you're walking your dog and you're near cattle, and they start to stampede, that is when you let your dog off the lead because otherwise uh, we've seen the sad consequences of people who've left the dog on the lead and cattle have stampede. Hmm. Okay. So let's uh, try to end the podcast on a positive note. Despite the rise we've seen in 2020, and as we've discussed, we we think that has been at least partly COVID-related, evidence suggests that dog attack incidents were declining in some parts of the UK in recent years. How have each of you and the work of your organisations been able to make a difference? Uh, Debs, let's go to you first. Um, I think the biggest impact that we've had within our group is to be able to share the pain um, Mm. and and the concerns and the fear and the anguish um, and and using part of that to spread the message. Um, Perhaps on on a different note, so slightly off topic from dogs, is that we have also established what we call a body map, which is um, closed within the group, but 
we have a map where people offer up their location. And if somebody gets sick or can't tend their animals, then they can look on the map, see who's close to them, contact them and see if they can jump in and help them. Um, so it, that's part of the network and one of the, the good reasons uh, that people enjoy being part in Ladies of Lamb. Hmm. Okay, fantastic. Uh, and, and you, Rob, same question. I always like to look at the big picture, you know, and I've got a lot of optimism in regards to the work we're doing through Parliament in regards to uh, getting this law changed and helping us help the farmers and helping dog owners. So that's, that's a big one. But the other one for me really is that the good news story is in 2013, there was one designated rural crime team in the country, which was ourselves. You know, you're now looking at over 25 designated rural crime teams in the country where, you know, the interest is there now to deal with the farming problems, to, to record these attacks, get the real picture and make a real difference. So I'm actually looking through 2021 now. We're sat here in January and I'm looking through to the end this year with a lot of optimism, you know, hopefully a law change, hopefully more rural crime teams. And, you know, let's work together and get this problem uh, firmly put into the history. Mm, fingers crossed. Uh, and, and you, David, let's uh, let's finish with you. Yeah, so uh, I mean, we insure around about three quarters of UK farmers. So we've got good statistics on uh, the scale of the problem. So we can help by by raising its profile, uh, by highlighting any trends and developments. Uh, we can also carry out research, which we've done with these 1,200 dog owners to try and identify any developing trends. Uh, and really, it's about getting information out there, helping people to understand um, that they need to take responsibility for their animals when they're out walking in the countryside. Uh, and also a lot of our work is, is collaborating with uh, exactly the, the people we've had on the, the podcast today. So the likes of Debs with Lady C. Lamb uh, and, and Rob, North Wales Police, and indeed other police forces as well. So it's about all of us working together. Um, and as Rob said, there's there's reason to be positive as well. Um, so I think collaboratively uh, working with our, our different hats on, then we can, we can stamp this out. Mm, fantastic. Okay, uh, thank you very much to all of you for joining us today, uh, and well done as well for the work that you're doing. It's uh, it's hugely appreciated by all of us in the farming community. That's it from this edition of Ahead of the Field. From me, Will Evans, and everyone at NFE Mutual, it's goodbye until the next episode. Mm-hmm.